We are the people of God. But scripture reminds us that we still sin. We need to confess our failures, knowing that the Lord Jesus intercedes for us with a Father who freely forgives us through his infinite goodness and mercy. So let us draw near to God with sincerity and confidence and pray together the prayer of confession. God of all people, forgive us for claiming to be Christians when our faith is so shallow and our good works so limited. We have not dared to trust you fully. We have not expected your promises to be fulfilled among us. We have not accepted the freedom that is ours in Christ Jesus. Instead, we have guarded our own interest, relied on limited understandings and lingering doubts, reigned in our emotions, and settled for a lukewarm relationship that we do little to cultivate. O oh God, forgive us and draw us near to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our God fulfills his promises and is true to his word. We have confessed our sins. God has forgiven us because Christ died for us. So friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Let us in confidence express our belief by saying together the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, <clears throat> suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's take a moment to greet one another in the fellowship of our Lord. <clears throat>
Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. We are so grateful that God has given us this morning to come together to be in worship. We hope that you will find this to be a place of warmth and welcome. We encourage you to fill out the friendship pads and pass those along, especially if you're a, a brand new guest to us today. We would uh, love to know your name and hopefully continue the conversation we've just started with you underneath the tree after the worship service. There you'll have chances also to learn of uh, different ministries that are going on here, here at Church of the Palms and how you can be a part of them. So uh, please join us for a little time uh, there as well. Great things are happening today. We invite our kids, the kids of our families, to uh, stay in worship throughout the entire service. We do that on the first Sundays of uh, the summer months uh, from June through September. So we hope that you will uh, enjoy that time to worship together as a family. We also will begin our summer choir uh, coming up uh, next week, I believe it is. And uh, rehearsal will be, what, Judy, next Sunday? Is that right? Next Sunday. So if you want to try on those vocal cords and sing in the summer choir, this is a perfect time to do that and meet in the uh, choir room next Sunday morning for a rehearsal. Speaking of music, we uh, feature this morning our tubular chimes, which are a part of our bell choir. And uh, they have been in retirement for the last 20 years or so, but thanks to Dick Thompson, we have a, a new, um, uh, uh, what do you call that, Dick? Uh, hmm? Rack, that's what that's called, okay. <laughs> a very, very technical term. <laughs> a new rack for our tubular chimes built by Dick Thompson, so we're able to feature those again, so let's give a, a good round of applause for that uh, effort. Thank you, Dick. We uh, also today will uh, invite you to hear uh, from Dave Moffat, a returning soldier from Afghanistan, the uh, son of pagan Chuck Moffat, who will be here after our service over in the campus center to talk about his experiences uh, over in Afghanistan. Our shape class begins next week, and we invite you to come and be a part of this great experience of getting in touch with more of who you are and what God has created you to be and what gifts you have such that you might understand more of what your calling and ministry is. We've had uh, really hundreds of people in this church participate in this. It's never too late to jump in and to learn about those uh, unique ways by which God has created you. So that begins next Sunday evening and uh, for the, the uh, Sundays of June. We also want to make you aware of another class that begins next week, Becoming a Shepherding Evangelist, taught by Joe Davis. And uh, there was more information about that in your bulletin. Vacation Bible School begins a week from tomorrow. Not too late to sign up either to volunteer or to have your child be a part of that uh, great week of learning. So uh, more information in your bulletin about that. Ben Zobrist, who is not a pitcher for the Tampa Bay Rays, as I said last week, by mistake, but is a player for the Tampa Bay Rays, is going to be here uh, in a few weeks, and there's information about that in your bulletin. You might wanna sign up for that fast. That, uh, that registration is going very quickly, so please make sure you sign up for that as well. And Leland Dubosh, a member of our church, passed away just yesterday, and we uh, keep his family in our prayers as they mourn his loss, as we all do. Now let us continue our worship through the presentation of our tithes and gifts and offerings.
Let us pray. O merciful and gracious God, from whose open hand we all have received much, we ask you to accept this offering of your people. Remember in your love those who have brought it. Remember also those persons and purposes for which it is given. So follow this sacrifice with your blessing, that it may promote peace and goodwill and advance the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. And now we invite the children to come forward for the children's moment. <laughs> good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing? School's out? Yes? Hallelujah, excellent. Last week, I don't know if you missed us, but we were at the beach, did a family worship, and it was awesome. And one of the best parts was that our youth pastor, Jeff, was singing, and a couple guys were playing the guitar, and it was all the people that walked by just going to the beach that just stood around our perimeter and worshiped with us. It was really, really cool. So thank you for giving us an excused absence. And we're back. So glad it's summertime. We are going to talk about the basics the basics. And it's from Luke 2.52, which is what our curriculum is called. It's 2.52 basics. And listen to what Luke says. He says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Hmm. Just the basics that Jesus grew in wisdom, in faith, and in friendship. Sounds pretty easy, we don't know a lot about Jesus from the time the wise men visited it until the time he started his ministry. We just don't. The Bible doesn't say a whole lot about it. But we know that there's these basics and that he grew. And I'm thinking, if you're going to grow, maybe there's three things that you should always do. One, know where you're going. You've got to have a goal. Two, have a plan on how you're going to get there. And three, stick to the basics. So I want to give you an example. Let's say... I wanted to be a professional baseball player. What are some of the basics? What do I have to do if I want to become a professional baseball player? Practice, practice. What else? What would I practice? Do you know? Think about it. What do you think, Ricky? What else do I have to do? Hitting the ball. Hitting the ball, absolutely. And here's a baseball player. What else would I have to do? Learn how to get cut off for right field if you're second base and learn how to get cut off for shortstop. I don't even know what he's talking about, but I think it sounds good. Yeah. What else? Swing the bat. Swing the bat. Now that's more my speed. Just kind of, maybe you should know the rules, I guess. Maybe know the rules if you can, yeah? What Looking else? at the ball. Watching the ball. That is a great piece of advice. Hold that thought, Tallulah. So that's part of the basics of learning to be a baseball player. What about this? Now, we've been seeing these a lot this time of year. A couple of them in my house. If I wore this, what do you suppose this means? Hmm, what do you think this means? You're graduating. I'm graduating, graduating high school, in fact. And so if I want to be a high school graduate, I need a bigger hat. What else would I do? What are the basics of graduating from high school? Celebrate. Oh, got to celebrate, absolutely. <laughs> to get to this point, what do I have to do? Do I have to do any math? No. Yes, I have to do math, have to do some reading, some writing. What else do I have to do? Do you know? Can you think of anything else? 
Walter. Homework. Homework. Lots of homework. Lots of practice, practice, practice. You have to go to school. Oh my goodness. You have to show up. You have to go to school 180 days a year for 13 years. You know what else you have to do? You don't just do the work in the book. You have to serve. I think you have to serve something like 75 hours community service just to graduate. One last question. Let's say your goal is to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, the most important goal of all. What are some of the basics? What are we going to do? Yeah. Respect. Respect. Yeah. What else are we going to do? Yeah. Pray. We're going to pray. Is there anything else we're going to do if we want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Come to church every day. Come to church often, absolutely, every Sunday, you bet. Anything else? Come to school every day. Come to Sunday school. What else do we have to do? Anything else? Listen to what God says. Listen to what God says. You know what? If we practice those basics, it's not just reading in a book. It's also going out and serving and loving we get to become a disciple. And part of it is being with our disciples that are older than us, which is why we get to stay in worship today and take communion with our parents and our grandparents and our uncles and aunts so that we learn from them how to be a disciple. And you know what? It's a lifetime journey. It's the most important goal you can ever have, and it all starts with the basics. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you. We thank you for this day, for these kids for this family, for this great big church family who loves us, but nobody loves us more than you, and we want to be just like you, loving and serving everywhere we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can go back and sit with your families. Always so intimidated to follow the children's sermon. <laughs> Just not fair. Well, along the theme that you just heard about, we are beginning a summer sermon series today on the gospel according to baseball. This was a, a good idea about six months ago. I'm not sure it's as good of an idea as this today, but we're going to give it a whirl. Looking at the game of baseball as uh, we would search out some metaphors uh, to reflect upon the spiritual life and the nature of the gospel. I will uh, beg the indulgence of those of you who don't find yourselves real big baseball fans, but I will work as hard as I can to draw out of this elements that are common to us all and that will guide us as we reflect upon our nature of discipleship and what it means for us to follow Jesus Christ. I also want to let you know that I'm sharing this sermon series with one of my dearest friends, Bill Evertsburg, who is the senior pastor at First Presbyterian Church of Greenwich, Connecticut. Bill is, I think, the best preacher in the country, so uh, I'm also intimidated to think that perhaps you'll go online and read his sermons and find that he's a much better preacher than me, especially on this topic. So. But uh, we will be sharing ideas back and forth throughout the summer, and we uh, look forward together uh, in different places and times to talk.
talk about this common theme of the gospel according to baseball. So we begin today in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, looking at the 23rd verse and following. Hear the word of God. Paul writes and says, For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body eat and drink judgment against themselves. For this reason, many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If you're hungry, eat at home so that when you come together, it will be not for your condemnation. About the other things, I will give instructions when I come. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, O God, we pray that these words to come will point to the word just read and to the word made flesh that we may discover even more what it means for us to follow your son, Jesus Christ. For we pray this in his name, amen. <coughs> C.S. Lewis in his book, Surprised by Joy, tells the story of his younger life and his journey from atheism to a belief in God. And in the opening pages of his account, he tells of what he can remember to be his first experience of something he calls Zainzut. Zainzut is a German word that Lewis believes captures most the experience he had as a young boy when he encountered for the first time something strikingly beautiful. It was something as simple as a toy garden that his brother had made, but the young Lewis, when he saw it for the first time, was so struck by its sense of beauty that in that moment experienced a sense of longing, a yearning for something beyond that the beauty represented. That's what that word means, zainzud. It means longing, a, a longing that comes from a moment when we experience something beautiful, a longing for the joy that lies behind that experience. Through the rest of Lewis's story, he points to many of these experiences of longing that comes from this brush with beauty, a pastoral vista, a, a Wagnerian opera, a touching poem, whatever it might be that quickened his joy and made him long for the source from which the joy came. These were important experiences for Lewis on his way to finding God. 
I can imagine that you've had those kinds of experiences in your life, an, an encounter with, with beauty and wonder that makes you long for that sense of joy that, that only comes in those fleeting moments of time and space. Just a few nights ago, I stepped out outside my house and looked up into the cloudless Florida night sky, and all I could see were a sea of stars, stars everywhere, endless stars. And it was so beautiful and overwhelming that it gave me just the stab of joy, but almost as quick as that joy came, it left and left me longing for more. Dr. John Sexton, president of New York University, NYU, in his compelling book, Baseball as a Road to God, speaks of this sense of longing in a different way when he points us to the work of the 20th century Romanian philosopher Mircea, Mircea Eliade, Eliade, in his study of religion, focused on the experiences that humans have of the sacred, places where we experience in a deep way the touch of the transcendent. Eliade calls these experiences of the sacred hierophany. The experience of hierophany is when we come to a place and time where there is a deep sense of sacredness, a, a holy ground, something that, that points us to something not visible and yet perhaps even more real. This happens to me when I visit the battlefields of Gettysburg. Many of you have been to those fields. Gettysburg, in one sense, is just simply a, a sleepy little town in central Pennsylvania, surrounded by the rolling hills of farmland that at first glance is no different than any other little town in Pennsylvania. But to know what happened there, how many men died there, what speech was given there, is to sense in those rolling fields a, a holy ground, a sense of the sacred one is transported to a transcendent plane. Life takes on gravity. According to Eliade, where the sacred manifests itself in space, the real unveils itself. I'm sure you can bring to mind some of those places for yourself, places you would call sacred, the nave of a cathedral, a wooded path, a quiet beach, a favorite meeting place, these become for us holy ground, a place where we touch the transcendent. Well, Dr. Sexton, a great baseball fan, goes on to say that for baseball fans, one such sacred place is a baseball stadium. For it is in a baseball stadium that fans of the game are brought back in touch with a game likely they met when they were young when mom or dad or brother or sister took them to the local ball field and played catch or hit grounders or played a game of pickle. And from there, it's to Little League and games played with uniforms and coaches and scorecards. And, and then eventually, it was the first trip to a professional baseball stadium where we were overwhelmed by the brilliant green grass and the combed dirt and the bright white lines and the walls and the outfield stands a million miles away. And it is our return to such places that put us back in touch with something deeper and bigger, a brush with joy that makes us long for the sense that lies beyond the beauty. Some would call it a longing for the past or a longing for simpler times 
or a longing for the relationships of our youth. There are a thousand different reasons for why America calls baseball our national pastime. There is something about this game that puts it on the short list of things American along with motherhood and apple pie. A lot of this gets captured in a movie that came out a couple of decades ago, Field of Dreams. How many of you have seen Field of Dreams? Good, I feel better. <laughs> <clears throat> Whenever I'm asked to name my most favorite movie, invariably Field of Dreams is the one at the top of the list. Generally, I'm not a sports movie kind of guy, but Field of Dreams, whenever I watch it, just does a complete number on me. Many of you have seen it. It's about a husband and wife who purchase a farm in Iowa and raise there their daughter along with acres and acres and acres of corn. Then one day, Ray, the husband, hears a voice that tells him to build a baseball field on his farm, plow under acres and acres of corn and construct a beautiful baseball field complete with lights and stands and backstop, you name it. And so Ray goes ahead and does this. He follows the voice and, and as a result, all these legends from a bygone era of baseball show up to play. Gil Hodges and Smokey Joe Wood and Shoeless Joe Jackson, they, they walk out of the cornfields to play baseball again. Ray and his family get to witness all this, and at one point he even travels around the country and brings back to the field those who, for whatever reason, have a longing to connect back to the game with the heroes of yesteryear. And yet at the same time, the decision to plow under his corn and build his field was not a prudent economic decision that Ray, and at one point, has to face the point of foreclosure on his property. He's sorely tempted to sell the property and give up this amazing, somewhat supernatural experience of the return of the baseball greats. And he contemplates the decision. And one of those he, he gathered to bring to his field, an author named Terrence Mann, stands and imagines that there will come a day when people from all over America will want to come and visit his field of dreams. And then Terrence Mann delivers a monologue about baseball and its pull on the American soul. He imagines people arriving from all over the country to the middle of Iowa to this field and pictures what they will do. Says man, they'll walk off to the bleachers and sit in their short sleeves on a perfect afternoon and find there they have reserved seats somewhere along the baselines where they sat when they were children and cheer their heroes and they'll watch the game and it will be as they dip themselves in magic waters the memories will be so thick they'll have to brush them away from their faces. People will come, Ray. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled like an army of steamrollers. It's been a race like a blackboard rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game is a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good and that could be good again. So what is it about baseball that would cause it to endure, to make it America's pastime, to be the topic of movies, the arena of heroes, the subject of monologues, the theme of poems, mythology handed down from generation to generation? What is it that we long for when we step onto a diamond 
or into the stands of center field. Well, baseball is changeless, isn't it? It's a changeless institution. At whatever point in time baseball was instituted, and there was great debate over who really instituted baseball and when it happened, but at whatever point baseball was instituted with its four bases 90 feet apart, its pitching mounds 60 feet 6 inches from home plate, its foul lines that extend as far as you want them to extend, its four balls and three strikes and its three outs and nine innings and its gloves and bats and singles and doubles and triples and home runs, its walks and strikeouts, all those things that even even if you're not a baseball fan, you probably know a little bit about this institution of throwing and catching and hitting that has made farm boys into heroes and superstars into goats. It is this institution of the game, the constitution of the game that has changed very, very little. Go back not just to last century, but to the century before. And it's still three strikes you're out, three outs, and you're back in the field. Nine innings given to both teams to score more runs than the other. Baseball is a changeless game. Roger Angel, some 30 years ago in The New Yorker, wrote of how he had the chance to attend a college baseball game up at Yale to watch Yale's star pitcher, a kid named Ron Darling, and while watching, he was seated next to Smokey Joe Wood, the pitcher who almost single-handedly won the World Series for the Red Sox in 1912. Their angel sat next to a 90-year-old star watching a 20-year-old star, and they were stars of the same game. It had not changed. Nothing had changed about it. We long for these things, don't we? We long for changeless institutions. Baseball is changeless. And as well, baseball is a game of many and equal chances. A changeless game of many and equal chances. Each gets as many chances as the other. Each gets three strikes. Each gets three outs. Each gets nine innings. No one gets to say they didn't have a fair chance. It doesn't matter if you're inside the friendly confines of Wrigley or the house that Ruth built or the dome of Tropicana or the sandlot behind the grade school. Every field and stadium is different. It has its own character. But once you're inside and the line are drawn, the bases are placed, the bats are put out, the stitched ball is located, then everyone knows what the game is about. It doesn't change. A game anyone can play, everyone has a chance, and nothing about it will change till the end of time. We long for institutions like this, simple in their structure, enduring in their nature, and inclusive in their chances. Could we say these things about what we do underneath this dome? Could we say this about the church? The institution instituted so very long ago, long enough to make baseball look like a game invented yesterday. 
Could we say that what we attempt here has within it its own simplicity, its own grand history, its own nature of inclusivity? Anyone can play this game. Everyone gets a fair chance here. Go from coast to coast, you will not find one church that looks like the other, at least not exactly. Clear windows, stained glass windows, Georgian clapboard, colonial red brick, Gothic sandstone, corporate conference center, vaulted nave, shaker meeting, it all looks different on the outside. As different as Fenway is from Marlin Stadium from Riverview High. And yet when you get down to it, like the lines and baseballs, base, the lines and bases of every diamond in America, the church has its own changeless markings and touchstones. The pulpit, the table, the font, these things never change. Word and sacrament, things that are changeless and have for us the endless chances. That's what the Apostle Paul was trying to get across to the Corinthians, that early church that was trying to make the gospel a lot more complicated than it needed to be. Arguments over who had the better gifts, what kind of food could they eat, what morality should they practice, and in the middle of, of it all, Paul's response to these confused and complicated people is that he institutes for them the Lord's Supper repeats the words of Christ and says, you know, it's as simple as this. It's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is what will last. You can have your programs, your building campaigns, your fund drives, your committee meetings, but the enduring institution is what takes place at the pulpit, at the table, and at the font. The marks of the true church, Calvin wrote, are that the word of God should be preached and that the sacraments be rightly administered. This is what we come back to. This will tie us from generation to generation. These are the lines and the bases. Anyone can play here, all have chances here. And though the church from generation to generation falls in and out of favor, though there are times when for many the whole thing seems irrelevant, the human longing never goes away. The hunger for hierophany, the sacred space that we yearn for. It explains to me the elder I was once talking to he told me of a time when life was falling apart, family troubles, difficulties at work, financial worries, life had jolted him. But his way home from work took him each night past the church I pastored, a simple little Georgian white clapboard that had been there since the end of, world, uh, since the end of the Civil War. And he said that just about every day when he approached the church on his way home, driving his car, he would slow down and pull off to the side. And for a minute or so, he would just sit and look at this historic building, 
the steeple, the clear windows, the enduring building which hundreds have baptized within, including his own. Thousands were fed at the table, thousands even more fed from the pulpit. And peace, he said, would invariably come as he considered all of what that house had housed, the eternal, the sacred space. Because that is what we are. We're the church. We're the church in season and out of season. We are the gathered who bring their longings yearning to be met by something real, something that doesn't change. Lines and bases, pulpit, table, font, believing over and over that it can happen. It can happen in such friendly confines. Friends, if you yearn for that which is changeless, if you hunger for sacredness, if you thirst for a time and a place where you can be met by something real, you are invited to come to this table 
For here we find those things that never change. Here we find the feast of the kingdom of heaven that is offered to us until the end of time that was offered to those long ago at table with their Lord. So come amidst all the changes in life, amidst all the things that re do not remain the same, come in the midst of all that to find here in this place the institution that the Lord provides us. So hear the words of the institution of the Lord's Supper as it comes to us from the words of the Apostle Paul. I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. At the same night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, take and eat. For this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you remember the Lord's death until he comes again, and he will come again. Let us pray. How grateful we are, O oh Lord, that you have invited us to this table not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, but precisely because we have not deserved it or earned it. You welcome us to this place of endless chances where we can get one more opportunity to be with you, to be filled with your feast and to be empowered by your spirit such that we can go out again and live the life you've called us to live. We thank you for these things that never change. And most of all, for your love that never changes, who invites us here and blesses us on our way. So bless us now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our Lord took bread.
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you shall live. After supper, Jesus took the cup.
Jesus said, come unto me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and gentle of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I am the bread of life, says the Lord. Those who come to me shall never hunger. Those who believe in me shall never thirst. Those who come to me I will in no way cast out. For blessed are those who do hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. of your unchanging love for us in this Holy Communion. Now we pray that you'll send us out into the world, loving you, loving one another, and making your disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs> 